Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. God bless all of you. Thank you for being here tonight. This is the day that the Lord has made. Do you ever get up some mornings and before you do anything, you say, thank you for this beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. I, I would like to read something to you before I start. If I could just have your attention for a moment. Ugly glasses, but they're comfortable. In the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, and Ireland King, defender of the faith, etc. Having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, does by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and of one another, covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic. Never mix politics with religion. For our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid, and by virtue hereof to enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time, as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony, unto which we promise all due submission and obedience. In witness whereof we have hereunder subscribed and our names at Cape Cod on the 11th of November in the year of the reign of our sovereign Lord King James of England, France, and Ireland, the 18th, and of Scotland, the 54th, Anno Domini, 1620. When these people left coming to America, they had no idea what they were getting into, where they were going. They just knew they were going. And they were looking for the land of dreams, the dream that was supposedly in this new country. They didn't intend to land at Cape Cod. They had intended to go to the Hudson in New York. That was their destination. And unfortunately, they didn't have Google, and they got off track. And so they wound up at Cape Cod, which is where they had to stop. The weather was cold. It was, uh, they had been on a brutal trip 66 days in that small ship. And not knowing who lived on that land, what kind of natives were there, or anything else, they were prepared to make the journey anyway. So everybody gathered down in the 
the hull of the ship and they had this meeting and they wrote this, what became known as the Mayflower Compact. This was their agreement. And if you notice when I read, the first thing they put in there was that they were part of the defenders of the faith and they had undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. And of course they named their leaders, but they were here for a reason. They made this voyage to get away from a national church. They did not want to be prisoners any longer to a religion that was dead, to where they couldn't even own certain things and and couldn't obey certain things in the Bible. For those of you that have, have ever, this may be a bit unusual tonight, but I don't, I don't know if I've ever been usual. But for those of you that may think that politics and religion do not mix, you are mistaken. And for those of you that think that the United States Constitution says that the church and state should be separated are mistaken. Those, that verbiage does not appear anywhere in the United States Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And every one of you ought to get a copy of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and you ought to begin reading it until you've read it through. And when you've read it through, you ought to read it again. It's good homework for you. So these people were leaving because there was a national church in their country. The idea of separation from church and state came because a particular denomination, one of the larger ones in the 1700s, decided they'd like to be the national church for everybody. Jefferson said, no, we're not going to do that. That's why we fled England is to get away from a church that ruled us like we were slaves and servants. And the whole point of coming to this country, where we are now writing the Constitution of the United States of America, and here we are ready to get everything in order and claim this independence that we've, we've fought and died for, we're not going to have somebody come in here and start the same old thing over again. So we're not going to have a national church. And thus... People said, well, that's where church and state separated. I beg to differ with you. There's no evidence to support that. So if you'll indulge me for just a few moments. If, if you've never seen this, this is what it looks like in the original. It says, we the people. That's you. That's every one of you. We the people. We make up this great United States. And it is great. It is great. It's still great. It's divided. Right now, it's war-torn. They're rioting in the streets. People are being killed. There's a horrible disease going on that, that shouldn't even be here. But it's still the best place in the world. <coughs> Excuse me. I've, uh, I've preached a lot here lately. In fact, I've done, I think this is the sixth service in three days. So... I need to remind everybody of my age. And this we the people, when I read this, I, I I'm going to be honest with you. This is not divine. This wasn't inscribed with the hand of God. 
So it's not divine, but it is inspirational. And when I look at this, I see more than just a bunch of paperwork. Now, you can say whatever you want to about America. You may not like it. There may be some things you don't agree with. But there wouldn't have one of you be where you are today. Not one of you in this room would be where you were if you lived in any other country on this planet. You would not be there. If you think this is a political speech, you're wrong. This is a godly speech. But you ain't going to have God without this. Now, if you're okay with the idea of going into a hiding church, a secret church, like they do in China, like they do in Iran, like they do in in Saudi Arabia, like they do in North Korea, where their lives are in jeopardy every moment if they get caught. If you want to go back to that, then just just keep silent and do nothing, and you'll be there before long. But on the other hand, We don't have to do that. If it comes, at the time it comes, we'll be able to do it. Not everybody will go, but I can tell you there are those that will. There are some people in this room here tonight that you're not going to give up your God to anybody or for anybody. We don't have to be a part of division, and our country is divided. It's divided in a half a dozen different directions. And I talk about this. And I'm talking about it tonight. In 1776, when they finished this constitution, it was ready to sign. And we claimed our independence. Although there's a lot of writing in there, the constitution had really no power, no teeth in it. It was not until three years later that they came up with another document. And they said, we have to put this in there in order to make this constitution work for the future generations. And since travel was like it, like it was then, not like it is now, when we have nice, beautiful automobiles and things that we can come. And it's funny, they had better attendance back then in church than we do now. How would you like to ride a donkey to church and you live 15 miles away? I've ridden a horse for 20 miles. That's the farthest I ever rode on a horse. And I can tell you one thing, there were parts of my body that didn't like me when I got off that horse. We can't imagine those kind of things. It's it's beyond our ability to think. These people were looking for a place where they could do what you're here doing tonight without fear of retribution. They wanted to be able to assemble. They wanted to follow scripture where it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. They were looking for the opportunity to do that while here in America, most Christians are looking for a way not to do it. And the government's trying to find a way to keep you from doing it. You see how twisted things are? Boy, this is going to be good tonight. I can tell you right now. These people wanted freedom. So in 1789, they introduced another paper. Getting a history lesson. Don't teach it in school, so I'll teach it here. They brought what they called the Bill of Rights. And they gave it to to the people that needed to have it and said, now we've got to ratify this and put it into effect. It was still almost another two years before they were able to get that done. But by 1791, they had it done and this Bill of Rights was in effect. Now, if you think there's a separation of church and state, or if you think that we should not mix politics with religion, and I'll get a lot of naysayers all over the country and that's all right, I don't mind. 
Let me read to you the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights of the United States Constitution. Could I do that? Congress shall make no law. They do not have the authority or the power to make a law respecting an establishment of religion. They cannot appoint a national church. Can't do it. Doesn't it it strike you funny that the very first thing the the framers wanted to do was make sure, not not anything else that constitutes, but the very first thing was to make sure that nobody could ever pass a law to keep you out of of the house of God that you choose to go to. Could not do it. That was the first thing. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That was their first protection. You think these people didn't have God in mind? And we want to go tear down statues of them? The people that put this together? And in a few moments, you'll see why it's so important. The second thing they does, did was said, we want to have freedom of speech. We don't want to sit back and take a beating and a lecture and not be able to say anything about it. We want to be able to, to give our opinions and our ideas. We want to be able to act like free people. The third thing they said was, we want to be able to peaceably assemble. Isn't this beautiful? Have, have, do, many people don't never take the time to read the Bill of Rights. This is what gives you your freedom. You young ladies, you young girls, you young men. Next time you say, well, I think I'm going down to the mall and spend a hundred bucks or wherever you're going to go. If you didn't have that piece of paper, you could not go. We're the only country in the world that has a constitution like this. We're the only country in history that's ever had a constitution like this. Freedom of speech. And then they said freedom of the press. Well, they've got plenty of freedom. And if anybody needs to be jailed, they're the ones. Or the right of the people to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. If we disagree, we have the right. We have the right to say that's wrong. No. And this supports us. Why? Why in the name of God is somebody preaching this from a pulpit? Because this instrument right here, this is the last bastion of free speech in the United States of America right now. We've been imposed upon. We've been told, but this place right here, I can preach anything I want to. I can tell you the truth without fear of retribution. I can tell you about God and not have to worry about anybody silencing me. Now, if I take this, And I say, well, you know, those people, they came here and they wrote this Mayflower Compact. That was the beginning in 1620. That's where it started, Rob. They wanted to to settle some things on that boat before they got out. 41 people signed that document. Do you know the first year there was over half of them died? And when the Indians came along, these people, oh yeah, they abused them Indians and sold everything that they, no, they did not. They taught the Indians what God was. They taught them how to speak the the English language. They had more Indians show up at the first Thanksgiving than they did pilgrims. Isn't that strange? Have you ever heard that on the news? No, and you won't. Because they don't teach this stuff no more. They don't believe in freedom. So we'll just tear it up.
Let's just get rid of it. Then we won't have to worry with it no more. And since we're going to do that, we may as well get rid of the Bill of Rights too. We don't need that no more. We'll do it our way. Somebody can pick that up later. Last but not least, we the people. We the people of the United States of of America in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity and to to obtain and establish the Constitution of the United States of America. We don't need that no more. Let's get rid of it. That's what they'd like to do. But the father said, no, I'm not going to let you do that. Just You're not going to get a majority vote and get rid of that constitution. You got to have two-thirds, two-thirds of the House, two-thirds of the Senate before you can change that constitution. They've never been able to get that. But you know, they've been trying for years to get a two-thirds majority. They think this is their year. Now, when that constitution goes... And you're welcome to fact check this. I always tell you that. When that constitution goes, kiss this building goodbye. Kiss your rights goodbye. You can't do that to me. I'm an American citizen. Everything goes with it. Everything. Bibles. They'll tell you when you can have a Bible. That couldn't happen. Tell that to Nehemiah. Because he's the one that wrote in Nehemiah. And he said, we are slaves in the land of promise. We've become slaves in the land of promise. Here we are. They would like to make us slaves in this home of the brave and land of the free. They'd like to make us slaves here. But ladies and gentlemen, that can only happen if they first get rid of that. But we better be prepared for whatever comes our way and expect the unexpected because it could happen. And if it does, I'm going to ask you this question. Let's just say for the sake of this conversation, if tonight were your last night on earth, if you knew tonight you were going to die or the rapture was going to take place, I want you to ask yourself the question, are you ready to meet God? Tonight, are you ready to meet him tonight? Now, don't be haphazard in making your decision. And don't think you can monkey shine God because you can't. He knows the thoughts and the intents of your heart. He numbered the hair on your head. He knows you're going in and you're coming out. He knows what you were thinking when you got up. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows which one of you are mad, which one of you are glad. He knows those of you that are harboring something in your heart and you've got differences with people in the the part of the congregation. God knows all of that. So remember, before before you, you psych yourself out and say, well, no, I'm ready to meet God. Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, but you know, I got a few things, but God's not going to hold that against me. He numbered the hair on your head. One, two, three. Can you imagine? This beautiful young woman here, she's a young lady. She's got a head full of hair. Can you imagine to try to sit down and count that? Do you have any idea how long that would take? Have you ever counted it? No, you never have. I didn't think so. I'm psychic. It'd be a little easier on you, but not a lot. (laughs) Because he cares about everything you do, 
where you go, how you act. He cares about the things you eat. He cares about the home you live in, the car you drive, the clothes you wear. God cares about everything you do, everything. He cares who your friends are, everything you do. And nothing you say is done in secret because God knows the thoughts, the intents of your heart. So when you say, I'm ready to meet God, are you really? No, I'll move a little quicker for the sake of time. We've got this COVID-19 thing going on. And it's a terrible disease. We, we've, we've buried several United Pentecostal Church ministers in the last few weeks that have died with COVID. COVID-19 right now, I, I have a, a very dear friend Brother Chris Keys, you've probably seen his name on the internet, a minister that was stricken. He's been on a, a ventilator for I don't know how long now. And, and yesterday they took him off. His, his, all of his vitals in, in less than 10 hours went completely up and, and going back where they're supposed to go. And they took him off the ventilator now. That's a prayer. That's a praise report right there. He's going he's gonna to recover. He's going to be all right. But that's not for everybody. Some people haven't made it through COVID-19. And COVID has scared this nation more than anything that's ever happened. More people died last year from tuberculosis. Didn't scare us. Didn't scare us. More people died from cancer and sugar diabetes. Did you know more people have died from the flus and pneumonia than they have COVID? But we're terrified of this. We are terrified of it. Why? Why are we terrified of it? What makes it so fearful? It's, it, it is a terrible sickness. I don't want it. You know, old people are the worst ones. I surely don't want it. I've pled the blood of Jesus Christ every day. God, don't let me get that. You know, and people that have compromised immune systems, people that have health issues, they are, they're at risk. So we have to be afraid. But should we have been afraid enough? I, I did the death rate. I did the math for the death rate of this disease for Wisconsin before I came up here. It came out to 0. .00045. That's less than one half of 1%. That is not enough in the death rate margins to declare a national disaster and shut the nation down. It's not enough. It's just not enough. In fact, now they say they're moving the, the, the COVID-19 out of pandemic and into an epidemic because it doesn't, it doesn't rank in the, in the pandemic scale. And I like what one lady wrote. She said, this is the most clever virus we've ever had. She said, it's the only virus that we've ever known that will not interrupt a million people on the beach. It doesn't touch them. Or if they're burning down a city. But it will attack children in a school. It won't bother you in the bar. But if you go to Kohl's to buy some clothes, it'll get you. It's hiding in there. She said, it's a very clever disease. She said, it knows these things. It's funny, isn't it? Missy, you liked that, didn't you? Do, do you understand? We are stricken with fear and, and we should be concerned. Don't, don't, don't get fear and concern mixed up. We should be concerned about this disease and catching it. We shouldn't be fools and run around. But you know, tomorrow they may tell you to take the mask off. And then they'll tell you to put it back on. And they'll tell you, no, stay away from hydrochloroquine because it's dangerous. 
And then two weeks later, they said, well, we get a study and we found out it's the thing that's working the most. So go ahead and take it. It's okay. You know, don't, you need to walk and exercise, but don't go outside. No, you should go outside and go to the park and take your family, but the parks will be closed. It's humorous, isn't it? It's the word ludicrous applies here. That means ridiculously funny. And, and we're terrified. Do you know that the toilet paper industry are now quadruplinaire? Tri- tri- I don't even have a word for them. Some kind of a, a trillion, quadrillion, a bazillionaires now. And it was safe to go to Walmart or to Target or Home Depot and Lowe's. They were all immune from the, this clever virus. But if you went to Joe's lumber yard down, oh no, don't go there, it's waiting there for you. Have I told any lies yet? The disease is real, but we use it as a political tool to kill the most powerful and wonderful country in the history of mankind. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of jobs have been lost, millions of jobs, homes. And now we're going to start seeing the real brunt of the blow as this 90-day amnesty they gave wears off and they can really start foreclosing on your homes. See what's coming? More people, when we get, when this is all said and done, the genocide, it will be genocide, Brother Meyer, genocide will have taken place in America more than what Saddam Hussein killed with nerve gas. There'll be a casualty list of people that lost everything, including their lives in some related fashion because of what has happened here in America. And we're silent about that. And if they can, they will get this and do away with it because then they can have complete control, complete control you won't have anything to fall back on. Right now you do. When they wrote that first thing in the Bill of Rights, don't you think these fathers knew what they were doing? I hope this is okay, brother. If it's not, you can tell me afterwards. I won't care, but you can tell me. <laughs> they, after they wrote those things I read a while ago in the first in the Bill of Rights, they, they made the second amendment. They said, okay, we wrote this. Now we want to let them know we mean business. Now here's the second amendment. The people have a right to bear arms and form their own militia to keep government in check. Isn't that sad that we'd have to do that? You know what? I don't want that. I I don't want to have to exercise the Second Amendment. I don't like the idea that people are carrying guns in the church. I don't like that. I'm not against it. Don't tell, I don't mean it the way you may take it, but I don't like that we're having to do that. I don't like that we're doing it. I'd like to, for us to, to be in a condition to where if someone stormed this church to try and stop us if a gang came in and tried to take over, we could stand up and say, God, in the name of Jesus Christ, strike them blind and strike them down and watch them fall like dominoes. Don't you think that if you saw something like that on television and they said, man, don't go near one of them apostolic churches, they strike people blind in there. They're killing people there. They ain't doing it. We can't charge them with murder. They just start speaking to this God whom we can't see or talk to and he does something boy and knocks them flat of their back well you crazy 
idiotic preacher you. How could you get up there and preach all that non-Bible stuff? Well, an army bigger than you could count arrived out in the front yard of Elisha. Arrived in his yard and had come to get him. And his servant went to him and said, Master, we got lots of problems here. There's more people out there now you can count and they come here to get you. That's, that's, I'd say that's police brutality. This thing's still working? That's pretty brutal, wasn't it? You sent 50,000 men or ever how many they had out there of them, of them soldiers to get one guy who wasn't armed. And Elisha says, don't worry about it. He walks outside. He does something, gets a hold of God. And boom, all at once, all them guys out there in the yard are, are running around, stumbling over each other, falling off their horses, blind as a bat, can't see. Can't see. They don't know what to do. And he goes out there and says, follow me. And he gets his servant. They start leading this long line of soldiers, lead them right into the city. And then he says, God, open their eyes and let them see. And when they open their eyes, they're surrounded now by God's people. You think I dreamed all that up a while ago? And the Bible said that God, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, okay, but that's in the New Testament. That's in the New Testament. You got to, what about the Old Testament? Malachi, the third chapter said, I am the Lord, your God. I do not change. What I was yesterday, I'll be tomorrow. What I am today, I'll be tomorrow. I don't change. What I did for my people then, I'll do for my people now. All we've got to do is put our trust in him, our hope in him. Our faith is in the Lord. Back when I was, many, many years ago, I'd just come into the church, lived in Houston, all of you know about Houston. Terrible place. Terrible. It's in Texas, but it's terrible. It shouldn't be there. Houston ought to be in California. And we had a serial killer thing going on. And it was in the news. Of course, you didn't have but a couple of stations you could get. A, we didn't have media like we did now. When the, Brother Brown, you remember the Hong Kong flu, don't you? 1975. You didn't miss no time in school, did you? No work. You didn't even know that flu was going on. You know why? We didn't have no media to tell us. We didn't have 55 news stations and, and all that telling us, seek shelter immediately, the virus is in town. We didn't have all that. So we just went on about our business. We never missed a church service. Nobody wore a mask. And I'm not preaching against masks, so don't leave and say, uh-oh, he's against masks. He's one of them no-maskers. No. We just didn't know. We didn't know. See how the media has helped us? And so we have this serial killer thing going on. And people would hear, we'd hear, you know, only when we could see the news, like at night or read the newspaper. People read the newspaper. And we'd read about another woman was killed and, and brutalized. And, and this, this killer was at large. And one night, there was a middle-aged, maybe closer to older woman in her home in Houston. She was an apostolic woman. Pentecostal woman lived alone. Something woke her up during the night. And when she opened her eyes, the killer was in her home. He was standing over with his knife. Standing over her, she opened her eyes. And she began to talk to him. And they talked for a good long while. And then she said, I'm going to make a phone call. And she called the police. The police arrived. She had the knife laid on the bedstand. He was weeping. 
when they arrested him. He was weeping. There was not a mark on her body. She was not molested. You can say, oh, just luck of the draw. No, I can tell you what it was. That woman called on the name that is above every name you'll ever mention. The most powerful name in all of the, all of the history that we have. Jesus Christ. There's power in that name. I tried teaching my girls when they were growing up, my four daughters. I said, if you ever get in trouble, if you ever get attacked, if something bad goes wrong, don't you forget the name of Jesus. Don't you forget. If you don't remember anything I'm telling you don't forget the name of Jesus that name of Jesus will work right here in Wisconsin first time I ever came to Wisconsin was about a long time ago probably probably 45 45 46 years ago 1975 what would that be 25 45 years ago and we used to have revivals and we, we had real we had really had revivals back then we you know, we would have services every night, twice on Sunday, and take off usually on a Monday. And sometimes the revivals would last for weeks. And, and they stayed late. There were no time. Nobody cared about the time. They brought their children. Children slept on the floor, wrapped on a blanket, or, or just laying on an old, old cold floor. We'd put something down for them. And, you know, they slept good. None of them grew up to be mentally unbalanced. They were fine. And they did good in school. Wow. And so... Here we were, we were in Wisconsin and we were having a revival and, and I'll tell you, we were having a good one. I was over near Eau Claire. And we were having a good one. I'll tell you what, in that revival, we walked in the hospital. I'd never been there before in my life and we went in and laid hands on people in the hospital and people got up and walked out of the hospital while we was praying for them. One man had a stroke, a bad stroke and he was laid on the bed and the pastor said we should pray for him. We prayed for him. He got up and got dressed, came to church that night. That's the kind of stuff you want to see happening in your church. That's the kind of answers we're looking for. We're looking for a demonstration of the power and the spirit of God. It used to happen. God's not lost at sea. He didn't go away. He still wants to do that. So on Monday, we were off. And this, was, this is beautiful country up here. I'm, I really mean that. And especially uh, in the late, late spring and, and, and early summer, the man, them rolling hills over there around Eau Claire, it's beautiful. So I took my wife and we had brought my one daughter came with us, the oldest one, and she was about nine years old. We were in the car and we just took off. We didn't know where we was going. We didn't have no maps. We didn't have, you know, now they get in and say, well, wait just a minute and I'll tell you the shortest way to get there. We'll turn right up here and then a voice will come over there and say, you passed your turn. Yeah, we didn't have all this stuff. We didn't have all that stuff. So we just took off driving. If we got lost, we got lost. We didn't have nothing to do. It's a day off. We're driving through them beautiful rolling hills over there, Robin. You should have, you should have been there. You'd have liked it. You, you probably weren't even born then. And we got driving. And all at once, something happened to me. I, I just, I was gone. I mean, I'm driving, but I was gone. I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't in that car. I was nowhere. It's like I was in another world. I don't even know what happened. And I could see, it was like I was looking at a, a, a screen, like a movie screen. I didn't see the country. I didn't see nothing, but I saw this screen. And I saw this place. It looked like a gingerbread house. It had a rippling brook. It had a bridge that went over. You could walk over. There were animals everywhere. It was a gift shop. There was a, a big barn. with, with a, It was beautiful. It was, I mean, it looked like something out of a fairy tale book. And I saw that place, and there were people running all over. And, and I thought, what, where, what is this place? Where did this come from? This is what I'm thinking in my mind. I'm not seeing. I don't know who was driving the car because it wasn't me. My wife didn't know her. She'd have left me. And, and so... 
I'm driving along, and all at once, I saw my little girl in this place. She was inside the place, inside this room, and, and there, was a, there was all kinds of gifts and things. There. It looked like a cracker barrel or something, and she was in there, and I noticed that there was a crowd all around her, and her face had turned blue, and she was holding her throat, and people were shaking her, and she was choking to death. And I looked, and there was a, a piece of candy that she had eaten a butterscotch, a little butterscotch hard candy. You've seen those. And she had eaten that, that butterscotch thing and she was choking in what I saw. And that's all I saw. I, I just immediately, I was back in the car and I hadn't gotten to this place yet. I hadn't seen it yet. I hadn't arrived at this little place. And now we come up over the hill and I, I didn't say nothing to my wife. And we, we come up over the hill and my wife immediately, she said, oh, Mike, look at that place. Because we didn't have anything like that in Texas. You know, we just had running water, and, and some had commodes, some didn't. She said, look at that place. She said, That's, look, at it, it's beautiful. She said, it looks like something out of a, a fairy tale book. She said, let's stop there. And I said, no, let's don't stop there. She said, no, I want to stop. Please, let's stop. I said, no, babe, we're going. I'll stop somewhere else. Cause I didn't have this vision, man. And I said, no, I don't want to go in that place. She said, stop, please. Now, I saw this place. I'd never been there before in my life. You know, if I was in another life before that, when I was a dog or a rabbit or some kind of animal lived up here, I don't remember it, but I'd never saw that place. And she kept on, and so I pulled in there. When we got out, I said, you keep Diana with you or she stays with me. She said, okay, what's wrong with you? I said, nothing, just keep her away from anything. I said, now, do not eat no butterscotch candy. My wife said, What? And I said, no butterscotch. She said, we don't eat butterscotch. We never had no butterscotch. I said, well, don't get none today. So I said, you come with me, Diana. I don't want you to go with your mother. And I got her by the hand. And we bypassed the big gift shop and went across the little bridge and went into, they had a petting zoo over there. And we walked around to that petting zoo and had goats and all that kind of stuff, you know. And we walked around. My daughter, she, oh, she's having a ball with all this. She's, this place, you know, kids get lost in that. She was loving it. And I turned and was talking to the guy that was in charge of all the animals. And we didn't talk more than, couldn't have been 60 seconds. And I turned around and Diana wasn't standing there. I said, where'd my little girl go? He said, well, I think I seen her go across the bridge. And I took off running. And he, he thought I'd lost my mind. I mean, I was running. And I went in the back door of that place. And the moment I walked in the back door, you know how you can scan a building. And I could see, and I could hear a noise, a lot of noise up the front. And I looked, and there was a crowd of 40 people or so up around the front. And I ran up there and pushed, I was pushing people out of the way. And my daughter was about to drop, and her face had turned totally blue. And she was holding her throat, and she saw me, and she said, <laughs> she couldn't talk. That thing was lodged in her throat. And those people were saying, well, somebody, you know, call an ambulance, do something. And I I grabbed my daughter. I said, y'all leave me alone. Get out of the way. I grabbed her up. I picked her up and I lifted her up toward heaven. And I said, God, in the name of Jesus Christ, touch my baby girl right now. Boom, she spit it out right there. Spit it out. Boom, instantly. You can call that coincidence, circumstance, whatever you'd like. But I'm going to tell you, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run there too and they are safe. If we've got Jesus, we don't need anything else. You don't need this world. You need Jesus. That's what we need in our lives is Jesus Christ. Tonight in this service, for those of you that are watching this, if, you can, if you're able to watch, I'm trying to be still. I'll stand up here. Those of you that are watching, ask yourself the question, are you ready to meet God should you meet him tonight? 
Because you have no idea. Are you ready to meet God? Are you sure that you're ready to meet God? Because if you've harbored anything in your heart, you better get rid of it tonight. Anytime you come into a service like this one and the presence of the Lord is here right now in this building, when you walk into an atmosphere like this and you hear the words, make yourself ready to meet God, you better take it serious. I'm going to tell every one of you that are here and those of you that are listening and those that will watch it maybe tomorrow or the next day, you better clean your hearts out. You better get ready to meet God. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what you're going to go through this week. Get yourself ready. We don't have time to argue. We don't have time to bicker. This is no time to bail out. This is no time to give up. This is not a time to dislike your neighbor. This is a time to say, hey, if you've been born again of the water and the spirit, you are my brother. If there's a difference between us. I want to get rid of it tonight. I'm not taking it home. I'm not going to leave here unless I know the love of God is guiding me and directing me and helping me to do what is right. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. All of these papers are just papers. They're just papers, but they mean a lot. And we need to be thankful I am thankful I was born in the United States of America. I'm thankful. You younger ones, be thankful you were born in this country. You could have been born, and I mean no discredit or harm to to anybody living, but you could have been a baby Muslim girl in a cave in Afghanistan to where you'd never have anything. You could have been born in a third world country where they don't have food and children die on the streets. You could have been born in parts of Africa where they break out with sores and the children die in their mother's arms because they have nothing to eat. But no, the mercy of God smiled upon you, and you were born in a country where you could have nice clothes and nice automobiles, where you could come to a beautiful church and worship God anytime you want to where you can show up for prayer without anybody bothering you where you can shop where you want to and have the friends you want to and do anything you'd like to eat where you want to don't take that for granted Brother Kylie we had breakfast yesterday morning you and I it was a good breakfast company was good I'd hate to think I lived somewhere where I couldn't do that. I'd hate to think that I lived somewhere where I couldn't walk in here and do what I've done here tonight and not have to fear anybody to where I can express my grievance with the United States government that I don't like what they're doing and have redress and say I don't like the the idea that that this is being used against us. I don't like the idea there are those of you that we put in Congress, that we put in the Senate, that we put in the executive branch, that we put in the Supreme Court. I hate to think that some of you that don't, don't mind that we kill 60 million babies since 1973. I hate to think you're there, but I hate to think that I don't have the right to tell you I don't like it and I want to change and I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen. I want to change it. I want my voice to be heard, Brother Mitchell. I know so many people here, I call them by name. I want my voice to be heard. Gary, I want, it's good to see you again. I want my voice to be heard. I want to make a change. I didn't come to Wisconsin because I didn't have anything else to do. 
I could have stayed home instead of exposing myself and, and, and going out around the country. I wanted to come here because I want to make impact. Sister Mitchell, I want to impact somebody. I want to make you go home different. I want you to think different. I want you to act different. I want you to clean your heart out. I want you to think, God, I need to get right with you. I don't want to have all this junk hanging in my life. You know what this place is? This beautiful place. Wouldn't it be beautiful to see a thousand people stacked in here? A thousand people that tell you we're terrified at what's happening in our country. We don't have no voices to lead us. We don't have no guidance. So we're coming here. We've heard that you people know something the rest of them don't know. So we've come here seeking help. Would you pray for us? Would you pray with us? Would you help us find our way? We had a man walked in New Berlin Sunday night or Sunday morning. I preached. I could tell the man didn't go to church, but I could tell he was a decent man. Probably 35 years old or so. And... I watched as he sat there and as the service was over, he never moved, never did anything. Nobody in there knew him. Evidently, it was the first time he'd ever been there. And so I walked outside after we'd prayed for a while and I walked out into the, to the lobby and a young man come walking up. To, he said, sir. I said, yes. He said, my friend wanted to know if you'd come and pray for him. And I walked back in there. And I said, where is he? He says, that man right over there. I walked over to him. I said, yes, sir. I said, how can I help you? He said, I need help. I said, would you like me to pray with you? And he said, yes. I laid hands on him and the presence of the Lord. Oh, heaven came down and glory kissed our souls. And he wept and he prayed. He said, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Came time to go. He did not receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I said, called him by the name he gave me. And I said, listen, I said, would you come back tonight? He said, well, I, I wasn't planning on that. I said, well, I'm asking you to come. I said, would you come for me? I'm, I'm asking. He said, yes, I'll come. He came back that night. That night, God touched him again. I introduced him to, to young pastor David Meyer. I said, I want to put you two together. I got Brother Meyer over there. They were instantly attached. They met this morning and had breakfast, or yesterday morning and had breakfast. They're starting a Bible study this week. He's going to bring some other people with him. They won't. Their people are look, looking for a place to go. You've got it here. You've got plenty of room. Do you know sometimes God doesn't fill our house up because it's divided, and he don't want them to become part of division because a house divided can't stand. Every one of you in here, you're related. How many of you in here have been born again? Please, let me see your hands. I'd like to just see all the way across the building. I think it's everybody in here. All, that means you're related. You, you, you've got something in common. You're related. The old saying, you ever heard the saying when they said, why, 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 in your brother, you're, you're carrying your brother. He's got to be heavy. You ever heard that? And they, the answer was, he, he's not heavy. He's my brother. You ever heard that? That's an old, old saying. Can I tell you, I don't know if I was the first one to ever use it. But in 1956, I was walking home from school. We used to have to walk uphill both ways. Snow was six foot deep and all that stuff. You know that. We really did have to walk about two or three miles to school. It wasn't that bad, but we walked through woods. We had to go through woods. And we were coming home, and it was real hot. It was the later, latter part of the year in, in June, right? We were getting close to June. And we were walking along, and my brother Gary, whom I, I loved my brother Gary, who has gone on to, to meet the Lord. But my brother Gary was with me, and he was light-complected. 
But man, we were brothers. We were brothers. And I was a, man, I mean, I was a skinny little joker. I used to be a skinny, skinny dude. I mean, even after I was grown, I was skinny. I could sleep in a water hose. And so I, I came, I, I was walking along with my brother and he got hot and he started doing this. And I said, I called him Bubby. That was what was his name. I said, Bubby, are you okay? No, he said, something's wrong. And he started, and then he started falling and I tried to catch him. Man, I didn't weigh probably 90 pounds. I, I was skinny and I managed to catch him, catch him and he fell onto the ground. He passed out and it terrified me. I kept saying, Bubby, wake up, wake up. And we weren't far from home, maybe 200 yards. But I remember I got him up and he was just dead weight. And he, he was a year and a half older than me, weighed a little more. I got him up. Somehow I got him over my shoulder. I don't know how I did it. And I'm going down that, that low road trying to carry my brother. And I'm talking all the way and I'm crying. And I got all the way to the house and I got him up in the yard. And somebody actually said that to me. They said, man, your brother must be heavy after I'd carried him all the way. And I said, no, he's my brother. I never forgot that. And he got all right after a while. But I didn't know. But that was my brother. You know, we have family feuds. Y'all probably don't have no family feuds ever. You, you know, it's all perfect, isn't it? You, you like your, your brother. I mean, everything your brother does is perfect. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. But, and I get mad at him. I got other brothers now, two of them. I get so mad at them, I want to strangle them. But you know what? I don't want nobody else strangling them. I don't want nobody else to say nothing about them because they're my brothers. I want to tell you what the church of Jesus Christ is. This church, Brother Kylie, this is our mother right here. That's scriptural. Scripture talks about the church, the new Jerusalem. It says, which is the mother of us all. So this is our mother. How many of you have mothers that are living? Living mothers? There's probably some of you in here that take care of your mothers. Anybody? You take, care of your, you take care of your mother, Sister Brown? I know everybody in here. These folks don't ever want to try and do anything bad or outside thinking nobody's watching. Because I know them all. And your mother, does she live alone, live with you? or She's at home. And she, how old is she, if you don't mind my 88. You ever gotten mad at her? All the time. But if she called and said to you, I need you right now. It's one o'clock in the morning. I need you. What would you do? You would go to her, wouldn't you? If you'd had a fight that afternoon, you would go to her. Why? She's your mother. You see? Do you get that? That's your mother. Man, nobody. What person would turn on their mother? My mother was a drug addict. I mean, I saw the, the worst of everything with my mother growing up. Terrible. We lived in the projects. We actually lived in the real projects. People always say, well, that's where, where all the black people. No, no, it was not. That's a myth. We lived in them projects too. Mother would warn us. She'd say, be careful playing with so-and-so. He's got infantigo. Most of these young people don't know what that is. Some of you older people remember infantigo. Break out in sores all over your body and all that stuff. And so I knew what that felt like. Well, my mother, if she needed me, you rest assured, I'm going. And I led my mother to the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptized her in Jesus' name. She received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when she died, she went to heaven. But if she ever needed anything, I was her boy. You just call me. Well, how much more 
should our spiritual mother mean to us? How much more should this church mean to us? How valuable is this, this relationship? And mama gets sick. Do you just throw her out? You just kick her aside and say, I don't like you no more. No, you don't. You put up with stuff you should... You don't like putting up with it. You wouldn't put up with it from anybody else, but you put up with it because that's mama. Mama can say things nobody else can say because you're just her boy. Well, folks, you better get a love for this right here tonight. And don't you tell God how much you love him if you don't love the person sitting next to you. Hello. You got to love each other because we're all going to get out of here together. Is there anything, anything that you could think of that's worth going to hell for? Anything? You ever seen these projections? People draw images or pictures of the lake of fire. And they'll show people in there you know, jumping and floundering in the lake of fire. I don't even like to look at pictures like that. But can you think, Miranda, can you think of anything worth going to that? Absolutely not. That's not even in our thought process. That's why it's, it's absolutely critical that we fall in love with the kingdom of God and the work of God and the body of Christ. We're all in it together. We're all trying to get to the same place. And not only that, but right now, the world needs us more than they've ever needed us before. They need us. We have to be on our best game right now. We can't afford to have anything stuck away, hidden back. We've got to get rid of it. We've got to go back to Pentecost. Back to Pentecost. I would be remiss not to say this. I've I've said it everywhere I go, and I'm going to say it everywhere I go from now on. A lot of people would like to go back to January because everything was good in January. The economy was booming. Everything was good. And then all this stuff happened. And so a lot of people, they've been waiting around saying, man, I wish we could go back to normal. We, I wish we could get back to normal. Well, you're not going back to normal, so you can forget that. There is, there is no, you know why? Because you weren't normal. You, in fact, in your lifetime, you haven't been normal. Not a one of you, nor am I. We've never seen normal. If I'm going to see the church in a normal state, the way it's supposed to be, I have to go back to Pentecost. I have to. Did you know that within 60 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that John was already writing and saying, the Antichrist is already at work. Paul was writing to the Galatian church saying, you foolish Galatians, you started out in the spirit. You're already back in the flesh. Did you know that within 250 years of the death of Jesus Christ, we'd already started the Catholic church and done away with immersion in the name of Jesus Christ and got a bowl full of water to sprinkle people and put idols all through the building. Already that antichrist was working. He was working. So if you did it on a graph, instead of the church going like this, after, after Pentecost, it started doing this, going down. Am I right? I'm right, aren't I? You're a preacher now. I'm asking you. I'm right, aren't I? Yeah, we started going downhill, the opposite direction. And it took us 2,000 years to, to get what we got now. 
Man, we had everything. We were the across the tracks bunch when I was a little kid growing up. Those people across tracks, oh, poor people, had holes in their britches and pants were too short. They wore them like that. And, and the people across town would call them the kids, the people across the tracks told their kids, don't play with them. And everywhere you found a Pentecostal church, it was over there. You didn't find none of them downtown. It was over there. But when those people on this side of the tracks that had money and had five homes, if one, one of them found out they was dying from an incurable disease, you know what they'd do? They'd sneak around and ask them folks over yonder across the tracks, could y'all pray for me? Could you get your church to pray for me? Why? They knew that what they didn't have was the power of God. They had everything money could buy, but they didn't have the power of God. And they knew those old poor farmers and, and, and people over there, they had the power of God. I thank God for my heritage. I thank God I've been born of the water and the spirit. I'm thankful for the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. I'm thankful to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. It's worth more than silver and gold. And enough money in the world could buy this relationship. I refuse to give up. I refuse to shut up. I refuse to die at the, hand, at the hands of the unmerciful. I'm gonna preach this till I die. And you have to live this. And so this church went downhill and we wound up we finally, we finally, I always stop over here. I seem to wind up over here. Don't take it personal. I just like a friendly face. You know, I stopped over there a while ago and the way he looked at me, I said, uh-uh, I'm moving. We went up here, we wound up with what we got now. And we think that because we got all this stuff, that makes us somebody. Well, did you see what we built? Did you? One guy said, well, we took up $2 million. Wow. I was at a conference one day, and they took up, I don't know, 2 or $3 million at a conference. People went crazy. Man, they were wallowing around on the floor, acted like pigs at a slop fest. And I mean, they used to going crazy over that money. And I went and left. I was getting in the elevator, and a bunch of preachers got in there. Man, they was undoing their ties. Whoo, you know, they, they still a little wind up from what they was doing out there. He turned around to me and said, it's a miracle, wasn't it? I said, what? He said, man, did you see how much money they took up? I said, well, that wasn't a miracle. I popped that bubble boy. He said, what do you mean it wasn't a miracle? I said, if you'd have got all the money those folks in that audience had, you'd have had way more than what they gave there tonight. Money, these they folks got money. Them folks out there own ranches. Man, they got four or five homes. They got investments. It was in this audience here tonight. There were about 10, 12,000 people there. I said, that wasn't a miracle. He said, well, well, man, it was, it was something though, wasn't it? And I said, yeah, but I said, if you go fishing this next week and you catch you a nice big one and you open his mouth and the money for you to pay your mortgage is in his mouth, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. You know what? We've been making our own miracles for the last few years. I'm sorry, but we have. We go to the doctor and get a good report. It's a miracle. No, it's a blessing of God. We go somewhere and get a job. Oh boy, it's a miracle. No, it's a blessing from God. God blessed you with a job. God blessed you with a good report. But if you go to the doctor and he says you got stage four cancer and you're going to be dead in three months and you go home and start praying and three months later you go back and that doctor said, what have you been doing? The cancer's gone. You don't need chemo. You don't need anything. You can go home. You're going to be all right. That's a miracle. And that's what God founded his church on. We need the miracles. We need the signs. We need the wonders. We need the gifts of the spirit. If we're going to survive, we're going to have to have those gifts. We're going to have to have those gifts. 
Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.